0: You're listening to The Hungry Soul with Rachel Foy, covering all topics from spirituality, mindset work, beliefs, relationships, food, body image, business, money, self-expression, and more. Helping you become a soul-fed woman. Hey there, guys, and welcome back to another episode of The Hungry Soul. For today, we are on episode 65. How are you all? Are you good? Are you having a nice summer so far, depending on where you are in the world, of course? Um, we're still baking hot here in the UK, which is very exciting. And I know that us Brits talk about the weather far too much, but it's exciting to have the sun. Like, it really lights you up and it, well, feed your soul, really. So I have got an awesome guest on today's show, and it's someone who's going to help share her wisdom with how you can start being more courageous. Because courage is arguably something that if we actually have more of it, what would we do? Like, How would we start to change our world? how would we start to show up differently? How would we start to like jump in with two feet and just start doing the things that we've always wanted to, but maybe fear has been holding us back. So she's going to be sharing with us a few really practical and yeah, interesting points to do with how we can start being more courageous. Now, before I introduce her, there is something that I just want to quickly mention. For any of you that are listening right now who have obviously been listening to the show for a little while and maybe you are struggling at the moment with kind of food obsession, weight obsession, body insecurities, etc. As I sit here right now recording this, I've got a handful of places on my Freedom Programme. Now, Freedom is a four-week intensive. It's one-to-one mentoring, just me and you, no group stuff. It's just you and me together. And this is really for any woman who binge eats, overeats, diet obsessed, weight obsessed, fights her body all the time. And actually for women who know that there has to be more out of life. Okay. Now, as I said, this is a four-week intensive. It's me and you for four weeks where I'm going to be your cheerleader. I'm going to guide you. I'm going to support you, mentor you, coach you, and really help you start to get to a place of freedom. So a freedom to eat food without guilt, without shame, without fear of losing control, freedom to be you, freedom to wear what you like without feeling self-conscious, freedom to be present in your own world. what else? Oh freedom to shine freedom to no longer be hiding from from actually who you are and, and showing up as you and actually freedom from obsession. So freedom from obsessive thoughts, obsessive behaviors, obsessive actions. This is what you can expect if you decide to jump in and join me in freedom. So as I've said, there's literally a couple of places left. So if you want more information, um, you can drop me an email at rachel at soulfedwoman.com and I will come back to you and we can have a little chat and see if that's something that might be what you're needing right now, okay? Right then, so let's move on to today's special guest, this is the lovely Kate Swoboda, also known as Kate Courageous. Now, Kate is, she was such an awesome guest. I interviewed her a little while ago, and we were talking all about being courageous, etc. and she is the creator of YourCourageousLife.com. She's the director of the Courageous Living Coach Certification, and she's also the author of The Courage Habit. How to accept your fears, release the past, and live your courageous life. So Kate now helps individuals, teams, and companies to see where old fear-based habits have really kept people stuck or started to limit what's possible for an organization, and then start creating more courageous lives by getting into what she calls the courage habit which is a four-part process for behavioral and organizational change. So I brought Kate on the show. We had a fabulous conversation all around this thing to do with courage. And I know that you're going to get so much from this show because I have to say this, you know, the Hungry Soul podcast is nothing without the guests that agree to come on and spend, you know, 30, 40 minutes of their time for us. And every once in a while, I have a guest on who at the end of the conversation, I'm like, I've just learned so much. So I'm so blessed and I'm so grateful. And Kate was one of those. So without further ado, here she is, the lovely Kate Swoboda, aka Kate Courageous. Enjoy, guys. So, and here she is, the lovely Kate. Hello. Hi, thank you for having me. Oh, I'm so excited. We're going to have an awesome conversation today. But before we do, um, anyone that might not be familiar yet with you and your fabulous work, do you want to give yourself a quick introduction as to who you are and what are you all about? Uh, Kate Swoboda,
1: sometimes known as Kate Courageous. I can be found over at yourcourageouslife.com where I write about how... When fear has become a habit, we can shift that, change that, and actually look at what behaviors um, make us more courageous in our lives and how to make those behaviors habits. And I'm the author of The Courage Habit and director of the Courageous Living Coach Certification at tribeclcc.com. So that's
0: a little bit about me. That's you all beautifully wrapped up there very, very kind of quickly, but there's a lot of courage going on in that introduction. Is that fair to say? Uh, yeah, yeah. It's, I, it might be something I've touched on. <laughs> so go on. An obvious question now, but how did you become so passionate about helping women with their courageous selves or becoming their courageous selves? So what's kind of your story as to how you've gotten to where you are?
1: Well, I think that like a lot of people, you know, we are our own guinea pigs first, right? You know, the Courage Lab is kind of like happening in our own lives. And Um, you know, the, the, the point at which I made the connection about courage was I had spent a a lot of time and money and effort to save up for this trip to go to Italy. Um, I I was going to be taking a little bit of time off work. It was super scary. I didn't make a lot of money. This is before I was a coach on and on and on. And, um, I was in Italy and I had a great time, which is awesome. But of course the you know, there were scary things like taking a leave of absence from my job and um you know, just, just kind of what if I was the first person in the history of the world who went to Italy and hated it? You never know. (laughs) Um, (laughs) (laughs) so I, I went and I, I said something about what a great time I was having on social media. And what I always say is that it was the universe's great gift to me that someone came along and very wet blanket right after me. It's like, well, you know, not everybody can go to Italy. And, The reason that that made a connection for me that this was all about courage was that I happened to know that that person made more money than me, lived in a less expensive part of the world than me, had paid vacation. I didn't. I had to actually take a sabbatical from working in order to do this. Um, and, And that was the moment when it clicked like, oh, this is actually a choice that I've made. It's, you know, there's for sure plenty of times in people's lives where they're limited by circumstances that are outside of their control. And I never encourage spiritual bypass. I I think we need to look at the times when oppression keeps people from living the lives that they want to live. What I'm looking at, though, in this example that I'm sharing is that there are these times also (laughs) when, um, you know we actually have the capacity to make some kind of a change or a shift in our lives. And we tell ourselves these, these stories about why we can't do it or why it's not possible. And, and I looked at my life in a kind of hindsight way after that and went, Oh, there are all these times where the difference between myself and this other person that I can see is I was willing to be in my discomfort. I was willing to risk something not working out and risk failing and risk. What if this was financially not something I could end up doing? I was will, willing to risk and try things that they weren't because they actually had more access to time and resources than I did for doing the exact mm-hmm. same thing if it was what they wanted to do. Yeah. And that's kind of how I've been looking at a lot of things in my life is like, and and in the people I work with and the coaches that I train, and on and on, it's like, where does fear and self-doubt become a habit where does it become a belief system how do who do we be who do we become when we are in fear and how can we recognize the places where we default to fear based behaviors and start moving into courage based behaviors
0: oh this is such a, this is such a non point topic i've got so many clients right now i can relate to this personally as well like that kind of the understanding that we often default to our like fear response of i can't do that or that might not work out like we do that so often don't we but i'm assuming as well that quite often we don't even know that we're doing it like it's just kind of our reaction to just the world that we're in and we don't really question it until someone like you comes along and goes (laughs) hmm is that true? <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
1: I mean, I think that,
0: you know, people sometimes will ask, like, what's
1: a small thing people can do to start noticing this stuff? And and I'll go, well, just notice any time you're having the thought, that's just who I am. That's just my personality. That's just the way it is. Everybody knows that. I got to be realistic. It's like, well, well, I mean, I guess some parts of our personality are innate, but I uh, at least subscribe to, you know, like Carol Dweck's growth mindset and, Mm. and the idea that that there are things that are innate, but a lot is changeable, like a lot, 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 lot is actually changeable and shiftable. And it's not about changing it or shifting it to quote unquote, become better. It's about, um, keeping your, your pivot point aimed in the direction of what you want or what your vision is or creating a better world or being more of who you are. Um, and, and, and that's really what I think it's all about. So it's not about this perfectionistic striving to be the best or, or better. Um, it's about how do you just keep pivoting in the direction of your big dream or, or the life you really want to be living.
0: So from your experience then, Kate, you mentioned about self doubt. You mentioned about fear are they the two biggest kind of things that often prevent us from stepping more into that courageous version of ourselves?
1: Yeah. I don't know that there's anything else. I mean, it's going to be, it's going to be self, self doubt. I think is just another name for fear. It's like, it's all in the same stew and some people call it comparisons and some people call it procrastination. Um, you know, but it's all some version of fear.
0: Yeah. Okay. So again, from your experience, because this is clearly your like, zone of genius and your passion, like you're, you know, you're living, breathing, teaching this stuff. What have you discovered then about courage? So in terms of like courage, is it something that we learn? Is it, is it like a habit? Is it something that some of us find easier than others? Like, What's, what, what's your understanding of courage? I'm, I'm mm. intrigued. Mm. So uh,
1: when I was writing The Courage Habit, one of the things I was really curious about Because the book was originally going to be called The Courage Habit, as in, like, it's good to practice courage daily. And as I was writing it, I was coming across more and more research that showed that if fear-based habits actually do have a brain-based component. So, you know, habit formation works on a cue, routine, reward loop, and it's controlled by a part of the brain called the basal ganglia. So there's an actual part of the brain that is taking in stimuli all the time and deciding what to do with it. So for instance, if you feel that cue of fear, your basal ganglia is going to go, hmm, we're afraid right now. What do we do with that? I know, let's procrastinate. Because if I'm feeling fear going after my big dream, and then I go, let's procrastinate, then that takes down the intimidation factor. It's not a reward um, that we want that's going to be in in service to our long-term interests, right? We're still operating from that place of fear but in that moment, it's what works. So interrupting that habit and stepping into more courageous behaviors, and in fact, even turning courageous behaviors into something that is your new default, you know because if fear-based behaviors can become habitual, why not courage-based behaviors? Um, it's all about interrupting that routine. So you're still gonna feel the, the cue of fear. Nobody gets out of that part but you can start going into a different routine. And the research that I found really pointed to four specific behaviors that help people to feel more self-trust and more resilient, and sometimes even more confident, happier. And and those four behaviors were really coming down to accessing the body, listening without attachment to what the fear says. So you listen, but without getting hooked, uh, reframing limiting stories, and reaching out and creating community. And, you know, you can do any of those, but all of them together are really what become very process-driven and really what I think make the most impactful change in people's lives.
0: Oh, I love that. Was it the second one about the attachment
1: or not having the attachment? Yeah, uh, listening to what your fear says without attachment to what your fear says. So it's like you can hear what your fear is telling you, about not being enough, or someone else is better. Or what's the point? Or, you know, that's just not who I am, or what I can do. But without getting attached to thinking that it's true.
0: How does somebody do that? Because I know in the past I've struggled with this one. It's like mm, I'm kind of hearing it, and I'm tempted to believe it. But is it real? Am I making this up? So how <laughs> how does somebody hear fear, acknowledge it's there? but then get to that place of having no attachment to what they're actually aware of.
1: Mm -hmm. So I think that, um, first of all, I mean, it gets a lot easier with practice. And for sure, at first, it's like, wait, uh," like that whole, like, what is this? And what's actually happening before someone gets to that part of the process? um, I often recommend that they really emphasize first accessing the body. So, you know, fear isn't logical, it's primal, we feel it in the body. So we need to deal with it in the body. And our felt sensation is probably going to dictate far more of our behavioral responses than like logic, right? Like, Mm. I mean, we can give the example of money, right? Like how you feel about really, really, really wanting to buy that hot pair of shoes can often feel like a a bigger influence than what's actually in your checking account at that moment. Like it feels like a really strong impulse. So with accessing the body that can be, you know, your your garden variety mindfulness and meditation and all of that, that absolutely can be part of, of what you're doing with accessing the body. But I also would say too, like if I am in, I'll use myself as an example, if I'm in a a state where my fear is like saying all these things and I can tell that I'm just pinging around feeling stressed, first, what I'll try to do before I try to listen without attachment is attend to the stress. Hmm. Uh, Go for the the fast-paced walk that's really cathartic. Um, Scream into a towel, cry, like actually sit down and set a timer and spend some time crying. Um, Go to yoga, um, meditation, breathing, uh, laughter meditations, which are really fun to look up on YouTube. I'll just tell you that now. Um, there are all kinds of things that like I would try to discharge emotion first. Okay. And um, that is the thing that I think gets me to a little bit of clearer thinking and the ability to go, okay, this is fear.
0: Mm-hmm. I would
1: also say though that that part of it too is that the more you practice it, the more you go, oh yes, that voice, fear, rides. it rides sidecar. You know, it's going to come up. Yeah. And and defusing from that voice, I think, also happens when people go, okay, like, like, is my fear my enemy or is it something else? And the invitation I offer is that fear isn't an enemy. We shouldn't be trying to kick fear's ass or tell it to fuck off. We should see that fear
0: is wounded and it's just trying not to be wounded more. Yeah. Is this um, – because I often – kind of talk about, as I'm sure you appreciate, like sometimes those behaviors such as fear, there is that protective element almost behind it about keeping yes. us with what we know rather than stepping beyond that perceived quote unquote comfort zone. So, so actually from what you've just said there, we shouldn't be so desperate to kind of get rid of that fear if we can kind of appreciate its meaning, I suppose.
1: Mm-hmm. It allows
0: us to keep pushing it a little bit further.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's, it's it's appreciation, but it's also with boundaries, because I'm very aware that people, some people have fear-based voices that really tell them that they're a total piece of shit, yeah. and, and like, it's not about going, oh, there's that fear voice again, kumbaya, you know, it's it's <laughs> like, no, like, I'm not believing what you're saying, um, and in a similar kind of a um, comparison they'll sometimes offer is like, if you're walking down the street and you see somebody who's obviously drunk and they start going you know what's up bitch you have like rainbow hair yeah to hear the words they say you're probably going to have just a very human somatic response to the fact that like someone's being unkind to you but you also know they're drunk you know, like, I'm not going to be like, oh, God, wait, do I have rainbow hair? Am yeah. I a bitch? It's, it's like, oh, but they're drunk. That's why they're saying this thing. Um, it's a similar kind of a thing with fear. And at least for me, if I'm having that kind of an experience, um, you know, I'm also putting up a boundary and that boundary, could, you know, could look like me going, hey, I, you know, I need you to back off right now. Like, you, you actually cannot talk that way to me. That's not okay with me. It doesn't mean that I start screaming and shouting expletives. Um, it means that I understand that I have a boundary here that I'm going to speak into. Um, and so sometimes I, I would say, too, that we could think about this, this with people in our lives. Like, we probably yeah. all have that critical relative, right? If you know that you have a really critical relative, a really critical in-law, a really critical boss it's a good self-preserving thing to, to hear the words they say, but go into your interactions with them going, I don't need to attach to what they say. And if it crosses a line and it's outright abusive, I can actually go, hold on. That didn't feel good to hear. I'm open to talking about this with you, but we need to talk
0: about it in a way that's respectful. Oh, I love that analogy. I don't think I've ever heard anyone explain it so clearly. And that makes, for me, that makes absolute sense about the, yeah, the abusive relative or boss, it's like you don't always have to take on what they're saying no. unless they go one step too far and then you're completely in your right to go, hang on, that's not okay. Yeah, and sometimes it is also helpful to go, I, I'm not going to be in, your,
1: in, in this space. Um, the, the thing that I try to really get across to people though is that if a part of us is wounded and we abuse it, then we are in essence becoming the abusers. Mm -hmm. If something is wounded and we say, I'm open to like co-creating something different with you, as long as it's respectful, um, there are certainly people in our lives who are not open to that. But thus far, I have never met someone's internalized critic or fear who is not open to that. You know, the internalized critic or fear within all of us, I think, is open to some way out because it's a prison to be in this place of like basically telling you know if my critic says you're lame to keep me from going after something that matters to me, my critic's doing that out of desperation. It's doing that from a fear-based place, but it doesn't actually feel good. So mm-hmm. if I then am, am coming pushing back with the critic and going like, eh, I'm open to hearing what you're afraid of, but it's got to be respectful then we can drop into a different level and actually start to heal those parts of ourselves that have experienced wounding.
0: Mm. When you talk about wounding, Kate, what what's kind of your definition? So for somebody listening right now who's kind of following along and she kind of understands and she's nodding, when you talk about a part of us that's been wounded and it gives you like that opportunity to kind of start exploring a little bit deeper, have you got any examples that you could share with us?
1: Sure. I mean, there's the the super... The super obvious examples tend to be the ones where if you had parents who, you know, outright abused you, traumatized you, yeah. did something to you. So for sure, there are those examples. But then there are people who go, I had parents who I know really love me, yet I'm so hard on myself. Why does that happen? Um, I think it happens just by being a being. I think that I think that I think I'm I'm not... I'm not gonna say for the whole world, but in my experience working with clients and in my own personal experience, I think there's a fundamental anxiety that we all encounter uh, that's inherent in vulnerability. Even if people don't do us wrong, we are, we are social animals, we want to connect. We have all witnessed rejection. Even if our parents didn't reject us, we've seen it happen to other people. We see it happen in the media. And on some fundamental psychological level, we all want to be loved. And the switches start getting flipped for what if I'm not loved? Yeah. And in in a desire to be loved, we start going, who do I need to be? And then we start turning away from the self. Mm-hmm. And, and we just encounter life's bumps and bruises. You know, it's like if anybody who's ever been in an accidental car accident, the person who hit you didn't wake up that morning going, I know, how can I hit you? You know, it just happened. And the person who's in that car accident is probably going to feel like some whoa about driving again. You know, um, this is life and I guess this is kind of a Buddhist psychology perspective, which is that this is life and we're having a human experience and it's going to involve suffering. So, um, how do we work with that when we suffer how do we hold the suffering instead of become an enemy to the suffering because again if you practice abuse against any part of you that's harder to be with like your critic you're just becoming the abuser and that actually
0: isn't helpful absolutely and I think sometimes certainly from kind of the people the women that are listening right now I think sometimes when we're so driven and we're you know we're wanting more and we're, we're trying to get all the things and we're trying to be more of, of who we desire to be I think sometimes there's this almost this dichotomy of I just want to feel good all the time and I just want to be on top of my game all the time and I just want to kind of have all the good stuff and I'm just going to ignore all the bad stuff and then when the bad stuff happens it's like oh I can't handle the bad stuff because I'm so not used to having it and kind of from what you're saying it's about actually accepting that as human beings the good and the bad kind of come at the same time we can't just be selective about how we want to feel and how we want to show up well and isn't that what Brene Brown
1: says I mean there you can't selectively shut down some emotion if you're going to shut down your fear you're going to shut down your confidence if you're going to shut down your sadness you're going to shut down your joy and and that's just part of being a human being um it is an inherently vulnerable thing to live in a 100% fully alive kind of way. And so, at least for me, I will, I will you know, keep coming from the perspective as often as I am able of, of how do I open the channel for that to happen.
0: Mm, absolutely. And that means
1: looking at the stuff that's hard.
0: Yeah. Even though sometimes we don't want to.
1: <laughs> Even though sometimes, you don't know, don't most times you're not going to want to.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. Um, when it comes to fear, then, so we're kind of saying like fear can be very habitual. It's kind of learnt in a way. There can be like a protection element to it. So we, you know, embracing it, etc. Have you have you discovered that the more courageous someone becomes, the less fear they experience, or is that not necessarily true?
1: Yes. Um, the the comfort zone of what feels like a lot, really expands. Um, I think that's a sign of resilience. I liken it to like a parent, like when you, you know, when you first become a parent, um, baby's crying, is just like, <gasps> and then, you know, after you've been a parent for a while, it's like, yeah, the baby's crying. It's like, <laughs> like we're, gonna, we're gonna handle it. We're gonna do it. You know, we're gonna, we're gonna make sure she's taken care of, but like, you know, the baby's crying. That's, this, yeah. this happens in life. Um, but I would also say too, that it moves you know, it's like, um, like, I, I mean, I'll just speak to like the arena that I'm entering into on a personal level of, of getting my first book out there. So, you know, the first time I hit go on a blog post that had its own, um, oh gosh, you know, how's this going to go? And the first time I ever worked with a client and the first time I ever launched something, all these things have their own like like, how does this go? Wait, hold on. ah, You know, and then after years of doing it, there's a lot more comfort with that. Yeah. Well, now I, I have a book coming out and it's not just, you know, like if, if I launch it and then it doesn't do well, I don't just quietly, well, you know, that didn't go well. It's like my publisher's gonna know, (laughs) you know, people are gonna see, and it's very visible. And inevitably there'll be that first, um, you know, just really unkind review that doesn't, you know, like that just does no justice to yeah. the fact that somebody was trying to write a book that would help people. So that's part of, that's part of the game. I feel some of the same feelings that I did the first time I ever hit it go on a blog post or did any of these other things. But the difference I would say is that I know that it's all survivable, right? Like I know that like, okay, this is a doable thing in life. Like it's gonna be okay, we're all okay. Um, so so that would be the thing that I, I would say shifts. Um, and so whatever it is that somebody's wanting to do, whether that's something really internal, like wanting to become more confident um, and shift on, on a personal level, or if they're wanting to go after their big dream. Um, the first time and probably for several times after that it's it's like a hail mary experience you know what am i doing here like white knuckling my way through and and then it gets easier with time
0: yeah absolutely like totally i'm kind of giggling as you're talking because i so remember that first blog post i was like oh the mm-hmm. whole world's going to implode when i press publish because everyone can read my stuff i just kind of realizing that actually the world doesn't stop spinning and actually n- nobody dies and actually it's not the end of the world <laughs> it's okay right yeah
1: right. <laughs> it's all good i i yesterday um did a webinar and right before the webinar my video wouldn't work so i had to restart my computer and it was just like i got on the webinar and i was just like is there blood no <laughs> then everybody's fine. And then the same thing happened today before we were, as you know, before we were hopping on our call, I start getting on and then my video isn't working. And then my computer's not, and it's just like, breathe. Like, you know, like it just, I'm, I'm doing my best. That's what I'm doing. And the first time I ever had a tech issue on anything, I remember I was sweating buckets. It was like the worst thing in the world. (laughs) (laughs) But now it's just like, okay, tech issues happen. This is life. It's okay. It's okay.
0: Absolutely. And you are here. Technology kind of allowed us to talk, which is fantastic. Um, I've got a question that's popped into my head and it's to do with taking these steps towards being more courageous of living your like courageous life. Do you recommend that people try and take more courageous steps every day or is it about focusing on just one thing and working towards it or should they try and sprinkle in more courageousness at all you know in everything that they're doing like how does this fit into everyday life
1: well I I don't think it's so much goal directed as it is um how do you like the four-part process of the courage habit to me Mm. is how you sprinkle it into everyday life so it's like if you are accessing the body, listening without attachment, reframing limiting stories, reaching out and creating community, if you decide that you want to run a marathon, if you decide you want to write, you know, write a book, if you decide you want to start a podcast, if you decide you want to start a justice movement to, you know, help more equality happen in our society, all of those four parts of the process are applicable to any of those. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's like, if you, you know, you can start with I'm going to reframe my relationship with my inner critic here. I'm going to like really listen without attachment to what it says. You know, if you're doing that all throughout your life, you're going to find more courage emerging. If you are reaching out and creating community all throughout your life, more courage will start emerging. So it's, it, for sure. I, I mean, it depends on the person. I am a little goal directed. I kind of rebel against them, but I also kind of like having, um, like a target in mind. Yep. <laughs> um, but you know to me the really essential work is the relational work of how am I being with myself and my my own sense of of self-trust and how am I practicing behaviors that foster that greater self-trust.
0: Oh, amazing! I could have you for like on the show for the next two hours, but I'm conscious that we're coming almost towards the end. However, I do have one final question to ask you, and that is for anybody out there that wants to know more about your work, about the courage habits, about living a courageous life. Where can they find you, Kate? Ah, oh, I'm everywhere. Um,
1: <laughs> YourCourageousLife dot uh, com. Uh, the Courage Habit book. It's on Amazon and should be available everywhere. Uh, The Courageous Living Coach Certification is at tribeclcc.com. And I think everywhere I'm Kate Courageous on social media, except for Facebook, where I'm Your Courageous Life. So if you just start doing Kate Courageous in Google, you're (laughs) going to find me.
0: Let's just start there. (laughs) Let's just start there and see where you end up. Amazing. Listen, thank you so much for being with us on The Hungry Soul. I know that so many people, myself included, have learned some nuggets of wisdom there, which I'm going to start practicing